Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Welcome into the Jazz Notes Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Anderson. Find me on Twitter at Ben's Hoops. Read me at kslsports.com. And of course, download the KSL Sports app. Got a quick podcast for you today as we get you ready for Game 6 tomorrow night between the Jazz and the Clippers. And the first time all season, the Jazz have faced a true must-win game. If they lose, the season is over. And it's going to feel like it ended quite abruptly and maybe unfairly without uh, Mike Conley in the rotation or playing for most of the series. And of course, Donovan Mitchell's ankle never probably never close to getting back to 100 uh, percent as we've seen certainly in game five he is just laboring through that injury that he's dealing with uh, and the jazz just do not look like the same team they had when they were healthy in the regular season uh, the format of this podcast today we're going to be looking at your mailbag questions again you can find me on twitter at ben's hoops that's when i send out the tweets when i'm going to record them later that day uh, and i appreciate everyone who tweets in i actually got a lot of tweets today but a lot of them are the same questions so I tried to uh, condense them down to address everybody's everybody's questions and concerns and curiosities so I could knock it out in just a, a couple of questions here and keep it easy, nice and short, and very consumable for you. So let's get started. Uh, Sam Summerhays on Twitter. Talk about why Quinn is so set in his rotation and doesn't move it very much at all. I, I think there's a couple of scenarios here. And first of all, I do think he's pretty dedicated to his system because the Jazz are predominantly kind of a system team. They certainly have a bunch of talent with Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley and Boyan and Rudy Gobert, but it's Quinn's system that is kind of the star, and then the star players exist within that, and it helps bring them even to another level. So I I think one of the reasons is because the system works, you're going to be a little bit beholden to the way you've played all season and maybe a little bit less willing to say, hey, we're going to throw this out and try something completely new, or we're going to throw these players out and throw in these different guys that we haven't seen before. I do think that is a little bit of what Quinn Snyder does and what he's prone to. And it may come from, you know, coaching under a guy like Mike Budenholzer, who has had that same criticism about him uh, with the Milwaukee Bucks. It's just he, he likes his system. He runs his things. He doesn't deviate a whole lot from what he does in the regular season to when he gets to the postseason. It's really about, you know, 
going to the dance or, or dancing with Hubrunya, and, and we know what brought the Jazz to this point. It was three-point shooting. It was dribble penetration from Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell. It was the pick and roll with Rudy Gobert, and then really good defense on the other end. And they've played big, and they've not been afraid of it. And that's what's worked, and now it hasn't worked so well in this uh, in this series against the Clippers. So let's talk about the rotation. First of all, I, I, and Quinn would tell you this, and he's right, the rotation is altered dramatically because you lost Mike Conley, who was supposed to be playing 35 minutes to 40 minutes a night as an all-star point guard. And you see right now how important guard play is in the playoffs. You just, you know, you lose Kyrie Irving and all of a sudden the Nets are susceptible. You get Chris Paul playing at an MVP level and the Suns look like finals contenders. You just have to have really good guard play. And the Jazz have it for most of the year. And then they lose Mike Conley and you've got Donovan Mitchell at whatever, 50 to 70%. And you look like a totally different team. So you lose Conley... Your rotation's already changed dramatically. And where maybe you were hoping to only play eight guys more than, you know, seven or eight minutes a game, all of a sudden you have to dip into further in your rotation. George Niang might even have to play a little bit more just because you can't get away with as, enough, uh, with as many minutes as with Joe Ingles no longer coming off the bench. You know, he can't fill that role that, that George even plays a little bit now. Joe has to start. He has to play 35 minutes, which means Jordan Clarkson has to play 30 minutes off the bench, which means if you want to eat up those minutes, you know, Mia Oni's seeing the floor. George Yang's playing a little bit longer than, than he probably expected to. And it's just not the depth the Jazz planned on having in the playoffs. And it's just difficult. It's just really hard where the Jazz have found themselves because Mike Conley is so crucial and was so good this year. And it's such a key reason why the Jazz were the best team in the regular season. To not have him has absolutely changed Quinn Snyder's rotation. And he'd be the first person to tell you that. So the comparison I would make kind of reminds me of skiing. So you've got your two skis. And let's say you lose one as soon as you get off the ski lift. And that's Mike Conley. You lost your one ski. How are you going to get down the mountain? Well, you're not going to say, well, you know, I've never skied on my hands before, but let me try getting down on my hands. No, you're going to stick to the other ski, which is the ski that you know. It's what's worked getting you down the hill before. And you're going to trust that as long as you can maintain that and lean on that, which is your usual thing as long as possible, it'll get you to the bottom of the mountain. But there's no guarantee you're still only going to be on one ski and you're missing your other foot that you're used to. And that's where the Jazz are right now. They're leaning on that one ski that they're familiar with, which is the rest of the rotation, Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, the substitution patterns, even though those have changed somewhat, and the guys you've had to play all season. And you're just trying to get to the bottom of the mountain on one foot. And maybe you just don't make it. And that's the shame of injuries, but the Lakers have dealt with that right now. If they had Anthony Davis, they'd probably beat the Suns in the first round. There are teams that were just too beat up to advance, and the Jazz, unfortunately, may have caught the injury bug at the very worst time and may not be able to advance uh, as a result. And it's just, it's tough, and I think that's why this has been so difficult. Now, you know, the, the Clippers have gone small. The Jazz haven't really counted it by going small at any point. They've stayed with Derek Favors. They've stayed with George Niang. I'll talk about that a little bit more coming up here in just a moment. But this is, you know, th- this is what the Jazz have, have trusted all season. And look, to Quinn Snyder's credit, when the Jazz had 21 games this year without Mike Conley in the lineup, they went 15-6 and six because he didn't try and do anything radical. He didn't go crazy. He played Mie only more minutes. I don't think you want to play Mie a bunch of minutes right now in the playoffs. He's a second-round draft pick in just his second season in the NBA. You can't have him out on the floor for 15 minutes the way Quinn did during the regular season. So you're just trying to get by any way you can, and unfortunately the Jazz just don't have the depth right now, the horses right now, to kind of uh, to get to where they want, especially against this Clippers team. So the reason the rotation has stayed as similar and as kind of unflinching as it has is because they were already hurt 
so much by losing Mike Conley that Quinn wanted to trust the things that he already had and he wasn't going to go out and try a bunch of new things. And, you know, maybe it's a mistake. Maybe it doesn't end up working out, but I understand the logic behind doing it. Blair Blair Red on Twitter. Last offseason, Dennis Lindsay said the most critical need is a wing defender. Why did they get two centers and a third string point guard? $27 million could have went a long way. So the Jazz went out and signed Derek Favors. They re-signed Jordan Clarkson. They signed Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell to extensions that kick in next season. And then they kind of brought in, uh, you know, a couple of rookies. Yudoka Azabuki, who's your third string center, who you're talking about here, that they added. And, of course, you uh, you signed Shaq Harrison during the preseason or during training camp. And, and Shaq Harrison, unfortunately, just really never worked out. And some of that be, could be because Quinn trusts his system so much and wasn't going to really deviate to a guard who doesn't shoot the three. That's the one thing the Jazz like all their guards to be able to do. They can all do it, and that's why they all play. Shaq Harrison couldn't, isn't really a, a playmaker that way or a floor spacer. So he just never quite fit into what the Jazz were doing, but ended up looking okay when he got on the floor for the Denver Nuggets. Uh, it's important to remember, speaking of the Nuggets... Last year, when the Jazz lost, there was kind of two main schools of thought to why they lost. The first one being you couldn't stop Jamal Murray, and that's where maybe going out and getting Shaq Harrison that you could throw on him for 10 minutes, the idea was good, and you thought, okay, that might be helpful. Or you could go get a kind of a lanky, rangy defender, but those guys ended up fetching a lot of money and not always worked out. Think of Robert Covington, who got, what, two draft picks and you know other trade assets from Portland to get him from, was he in Houston at the time? And then they went out and signed... Uh, Derek Jones Jr. for a bunch of money and you never heard about Derek Jones Jr. for the rest of the season either because sometimes those guys look like they're going to be really helpful and they're not. And then sometimes there's guys like Torrey Craig who got traded for cash uh, in a, in a trade with, who was it? Uh, PJ Tucker ended up going to Phoenix and has been really good. So some of those things really are just a gamble. But going back to the Jazz loss to Denver, they needed a guy to stop Jamal Murray and they also needed to find an adequate center who could play in the playoffs while Rudy Gobert is off the floor. And the guy they went with was Derek Favors, and it made sense. Derek wanted to come back to Utah. Jazz had the money for him. The Jazz had kind of a safe bet. They knew he would sign as soon as free agency opened. They wouldn't have to get into this big, you know, bidding war with him, which they couldn't have really done. And had you done that and lost, and then you needed to find a way to spend that money, you could have spent it in a bad way. And they didn't end up having to do that because they brought in Derek Favors. And he was good. He wasn't great this year, but he was pretty good. He, you know, he, he didn't dominate the way I thought he did a couple of years ago when he was the best backup center in the NBA. I don't think he has that title anymore, uh, but, but he still was good in the first round and you needed him and he helped you win, even though you probably would have won without him. So th- that was a gamble and that's the reason they went that direction. It was kind of the safe bet as opposed to going out and getting an unknown. I didn't understand the Yudoka Azabuki decision as a draft pick. You know, I scouted 40 guys last year. I wrote up 40 articles at kslsports.com on different players that were going to be available between 20 and 40 because, I, you know, that's where the Jazz were going to be picking. So I wanted to make sure I checked as many of those boxes as possible. And the one guy I didn't write about was Azabuki because I didn't think he made any sense at all for what the Jazz were needing. You don't need to draft centers with first-round draft picks. You already had Tony Bradley if that's what you wanted. You were already going to go out and sign Derek Favors. That was kind of in the works, it felt like, throughout the entire season. So it never made sense to even waste a day watching film on him. And, of course, it's the guy the Jazz drafted. Now, that's my fault, but the Jazz went out and did that, contrary to, I think, what a lot of people thought. And, and look, John Hollinger from The Athletic said it didn't make any sense Basically, everyone who covers the Jazz said it didn't make any sense. I said it didn't make any sense. I remember I was doing the uh, pre-draft podcast with Sarah Todd from the Deseret News, building up 
to the actual draft itself on draft night. And I said, the one name I cannot see the Jazz drafting that doesn't make any sense that keeps getting slotted in their area is Yudoka Azabuki. And 20 minutes later, they picked him. So I promise you, I'm with you. I didn't understand that move at all. Now, here's where it could have value. If Derek Favors continues to deteriorate, and looks like he's becoming kind of more and more pedestrian, which could be the case, and he's not been good in this series, you're going to need a backup center. So if Yudoka Azabuki can step in and do a lot of the things that Rudy Gobert does, not everything, Rudy's you know a, a Hall of Famer, he's super unique, but can block shots and catch lobs at the rim and play defense in the pick and roll and blow up some of their actions and you can stay really big, that would help the Jazz. So there's still value out there and, and potential to be tapped for Yudoka as a bookie. He just happened to suffer a very gruesome injury and didn't get to play a whole lot his rookie season and missed all of the Stars season. He'll spend more time with them next year, I would assume, while guys like Desmond Bain and Jaden McDaniels ended up looking pretty good being drafted, what, 28 and 30, I think, by the Timberwolves and the, uh, and the Memphis Grizzlies. So there were guys who ended up panning out and looking good that could have stepped in and probably helped the Jazz. Maybe McDaniels wouldn't have gotten on the floor, but Desmond Bain probably certainly would have with his ability to shoot the ball. So those might have just been mistakes. And when you make mistakes, you know, that, that they will stick with you. Jazz have made mistakes in the past. We remember Raul Lopez over Tony Parker. You know, you remember drafting Darren Williams over Chris Paul, just some of the, the decisions you've made have haunted you, you know, and, and they're they're critical. And, and look, I don't think Jaden McDaniels or Desmond Bain are going to come back and haunt you like those types of guys, but there, there's mistakes that get made and you end up looking back and realizing a team could have made a better decision. And that may be the case with giving Derek Favors $10 million and then drafting Yudoka as a bookie while that money could have been spent in another way in better fashion. It's also worth noting that the Clippers are just playing such small basketball right now, it's hard for the Jazz bigs to step out and defend them and still stay near the rim. So why are they staying near the rim? Because none of the Jazz perimeter defenders are staying in front of the guy they're defending. Paul George gets into the paint when he wants. Reggie Jackson gets into the paint whenever he wants. Marcus Morris can get to the rim. All of the guys who want to get to the rim can against this Jazz perimeter defense right now, which, yes, is probably an even bigger case that you should have gone gone out and gotten a perimeter defender, but then you didn't, and now you have to rely on having a big back near the uh, near the rim to play additional defense, and it's just, it's become it's become an issue that the Jazz really haven't been able to fix when Rudy Gobert isn't on the floor. So that's the issue. Uh, the Jazz also didn't use their biannual exception this year or last year. That's money that could have been spent in some uh, probably better places that they didn't end up using. Again, you know, you, you make decisions in the offseason, you're not trying to go way over the luxury tax, and it ends up coming back and haunting you in the playoffs. That That is the business of basketball. Uh, next question, and to the max on Insta or on Twitter, excuse me, uh, Urson, no question, just need him addressed in some capacity. I will say this. This is the move that's made the least amount of sense to me for the Jazz, because when they signed him, I remember thinking, oh, big guy, shoots threes, adds versatility. He's not a great defensive player, but, you know, he draws charges, so he can kind of get turnovers basically that way, which the Jazz don't generate a lot of turnovers. That's probably useful. He's a really good rebounder for his size. He knows how to play the game. He's got a ton of experience, played really high-level playoff games in his career. That's a, that, that's, a good, that's a good player you can rely on. And then he never broke the rotation. And now you get to a point where the one thing the Jazz aren't, despite their strong identity, like I mentioned, pick and roll, good defense, three-point shooting team, dribble penetration with Mike and Don... They're not versatile. 
they're not this super versatile team. And while they can mix and match things in the backcourt with Donovan Mitchell or Mike Conley or Joe Ingles or Jordan Clarkson and give you some of those looks, their front court is pretty methodical. And they don't have a bunch of different offense they can run. You can't dump it down to anybody for a post-up the way you could if you had a Robin Lopez as a backup center. They don't have anyone who steps out and shoots the three. I think maybe Derek Favors took two this year. You know, even Tony Bradley was taking more than that last year in an effort to have more versatility. Ersan Ilyasova is the guy who could do that, and the Jazz still aren't turning to him, and that's all he does. And in fact, he shot the ball well for the Jazz this season. He he was over 40% from the three-point line, usually in garbage minutes, usually in weird games where nobody was playing for the Jazz, but I thought you signed him to have versatility, and this is a series when you need versatility, and then you're not using him. And that's where I've had my biggest question, and I think that's what you're saying as well. I don't understand why we haven't seen more Ersan Ilyasova. I know I tweeted earlier in the season, if there's one guy on this Jazz roster who nobody talks about that's going to hit a big three-pointer in the playoffs, it's going to be Ersan, and he's just never gotten the chance. And maybe he doesn't. And maybe, again, it's because Mike Conley is out, and Quinn Snyder's never played some of these rotations before, and he doesn't want to test him out in the playoffs for the first time. That makes sense. That's what a lot of coaches do. They rarely play lineups that haven't played together, especially in the most important minutes. Hats off to Ty Lu. He did. He was willing to do that. He's played some of these lineups that have never been on the floor together in this series. He really was aggressive toying with them in the first couple of games as, as the Clippers lost those, and it looked like the Jazz took a commanding 2-0 lead. And now, as a result of being willing to gamble and try things and you know throw stuff at the wall and see, see what sticks, uh, they've got a 3-2 lead, and they look like they've got a really good opportunity to close out the Jazz. It's also very worth noting, to go back to it and circle back one more time, that if... Donovan Mitchell was fully healthy, or if Mike Conley was healthier and they were playing, the Jazz may have closed out the series already and these decisions become moot. But the truth is, this is the hand the Jazz were dealt, and maybe they're not playing every card they have in Ersan Ilyasova being one of those cards. So I think you're right. I think that's one of the questions I have uh, about what the Jazz haven't tried to do yet, and maybe we'll see it coming up in Game 6. Final question here from Brent Speechley. He says, has Niang lost his contract with the Jazz? So Niang was in a weird situation last year. I thought he was going to get a deal last summer because I remember asking him about it. And he said he's not focused on stuff off the floor. If he plays well on the floor, that'll take care of itself. And then because the Jazz went out and spent so much money last offseason, they didn't end up giving uh, uh, George Niang an unnecessary extension because it would have put him further over the luxury tax. And then he played so well this year and shot over 40% from three and was actually a much better defensive player. It seemed like, okay, yeah, no-brainer. Jazz got to find a way to make him, you know, not a huge priority. Your ninth guy's never a priority, but somebody that they want to sign in the offseason coming up this summer. And then he's just been really bad in the playoffs. He was okay in the first round, but over the last five games for the Jazz, he's averaging one point, 1.2 rebounds, one assist in 10 minutes, while shooting 15% from the floor and 10% from the three-point line. Those are just unplayable playoff minutes, and, and that's hard to have in the rotation. And again, maybe if Mike Conley was healthy or Donovan Mitchell was healthier, you would be able to not play George Niang so much, or George Niang would be getting easier looks or better looks, but some of his shots have looked pretty good uh, if those guys were healthy, and they just haven't been. So that's the difficulty. He, I don't know if he's a playoff player. I think he's a really good regular season player. And those guys still have value. You still have to be able to eat minutes during the regular season and and, and have depth and, and get to get to the playoffs. And George Niang helped the Jazz get to the playoffs. So, no, I don't think he's lost a contract with the Jazz. 
the Jazz may not be willing to pay him as much as they once were had he been better in the playoffs. Not that they were going to have a whole lot of money to spend this offseason anyways, but maybe they're less willing to give him much beyond the veteran minimum. And another team may swoop in because there's going to be money out there in free agency and say, hey, we want a three-point shooter that, that knocks it down at 40%, and that's what George Niang does. And if we can get that guy and it's going to cost the full biannual exception or a portion of the mid-level exception, they'll be willing to do it. At this point in George Niang's career, he needs to take the money. He needs to get as big a contract as he can because he may not guarantee himself two or three more deals after this. He may get one shot. So if someone wants to come out and give him a three-season, $10 million deal or three years and 12, and the Jazz are giving him two years and five, you know that, that, that seems like a real no-brainer to me. So I don't think he's cost himself with the Jazz, but another team may be willing to give him a little bit more money where the Jazz balk at that and say, hey, if we're going to spend any money over the tax, knowing it's going to be penalized, we need a guy who we're able to go out and then play in the playoffs. And they may look for a more veteran uh, piece in that situation. That'll do it for the Jazz Notes podcast. Appreciate everyone listening and sending in questions. Again, find me on Twitter at Ben's Hoops. Read me at kslsports.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at KSL Sports and download the KSL Sports app. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.